Well, welcome this morning. We're glad you're here. Perhaps if you're like me, you've been in a circle of friends and you've had the discussion, someone's asked the question, if you could invite any three people to dinner, to have dinner with you, from any time, any period of history, any walk of life, who would you invite? Right? Has anybody ever been asked that question or asked someone else that question? Only a couple people. <laughs> wow. Um, well, I thought about that. You know, depending on how seriously the person uh, being asked the question takes that question and, and thinks it out, you can tell something about them. Can you not? Who they maybe identify with, who they want to learn from, um, maybe even their passions, their interests. I won't get into it, but as I thought about today, I think I'd invite David Robinson. He was the uh, seven-foot center for the San Antonio Spurs, longtime Hall of Fame center. I actually met him one time as a wee lad at the Mall of America in Minnesota, and it was, just, it was a profound moment. He was a, a Christian man that was evident, uh, talented, played the piano, also uh, swatted basketballs halfway across the gym. That was pretty cool. I think I'd invite St. Augustine of of North Africa. He's just an interesting guy, lived in the 300s, wrote a book called The Confessions, probably the most influential book, kind of a first form of the autobiography. Then I think I'd invite uh, Samuel Setterberg. Nobody knows who that is. He was what I uh, understand to be the first Setterberg to move from Sweden. uh, He was born in 1830. Just, it'd be an interesting dinner conversation, would it not? Of course... Of course, if you're in a group of friends, someone will inevitably say, well, one of my three people, uh, I'd definitely invite Jesus to be a part. And if you hadn't mentioned Jesus, of course, you feel immediately ashamed (laughs) that you're not as spiritual as that person. Um, But perhaps the more important question this morning regarding dinner parties is, uh, who would Jesus invite to his dinner party? Who would he identify with? Would his dinner party look different than ours? Well, in order to get at these questions, Jesus, as he often does, tells some stories this morning. Parables are really an invitation to enter into a story, as one scholar put it. It's as if, upon hearing this story, you have the uh, option before you to enter into it like a house, And once inside, once you inhabit the story, you begin to move around and then look out through the windows of that house onto the world and see the world differently. And maybe even see yourself differently. It's an invitation into the kingdom. It's very invitational, very, very Jesus-y to tell a story in answer to a question. But let's ask this question, who would Jesus invite to his party? And my title for this morning, I think, suggest the direction it would be a shabby dinner party let's let's dive into that you look at verse uh, 15 this is page 874 in your pew bible from luke chapter 14 and jesus is actually it's a bit of an inquisition he's been invited to a house he's been invited to a dinner party and it was very common at the time for traveling teachers prominent ones to be invited and then the local Uh, establishment, the, uh, you know, the scholars and the pastors of the day would kind of grill this traveling teacher and make sure they'd approve of his teaching, right? And there's lots of dynamics at play here that I won't get into all of it, but um, Jesus, in some ways, gave an answer that would 
uh, they'd approve of, yes, be faithful and uh, show generosity to the poor. And that's, uh, the que- the, I should say this, the question in the background would have been, and you see this in verse uh, 15, who will dine with the Messiah at the great banquet of God, in the kingdom of God? Who will be at the messianic banquet? That was the question of the day. So Jesus uh, kind of gives them a little bit what they want to hear, and then, then he kind of drops a bomb in the room, as, as, again, he is prone to do. He tells this story of the great banquet, a parable of this great banquet. He gives all these invitations, and something surprising happens. No one shows up, or at least the ones who are initially invited don't show up. Now, interestingly, when you read these excuses that those invited make, they seem reasonable, do they not? They all alike began to make excuses. Verse 18, the first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Seems even polite. And another said, I bought five yoke of ops and I must examine them. Another said, of course, hey, you got married. I've married a wife. I, I, can't, I can't be there. You know, no worries. Don't worry about it. But uh, if we were in an ancient Near East culture, this would be a huge slap in the face to the host. This was not a polite, you know, uh, RSVP, hey, can't make it this time on, you know, paperless post or evite. Um, this is what it's akin to. As, uh, this is Kenneth Bailey through Middle Eastern eyes. This, this scholar of the New Testament grew up in the Middle East, and, and so he had a Western background, but also was um, immersed in the culture. And he said, it's as if, you know, in a Western dinner party, a formal dinner party, maybe we see something like this on Downton Abbey, Everyone has been invited there, uh, there at the house, and the host comes and says, the dinner is ready, let me show you into the banquet hall, right? You can kind of imagine that as a Westerner. Everyone's there, and now they move uh, to the dinner party. That's essentially the stage where these people then um, reject the invitation. It's as if they're in the house, they've kind of accepted this invitation, the plans have already been made, the host sends out his delegate, to bring them into the house. And at that moment when they've already said yes, RSVP'd, and have accepted this invitation, they make it a point to say, no thanks, not for me, and turn their back. All three of them. So we don't really get how disrespectful this was, but there is some incredible uh, dishonor and shame happening in this context. Now, what is the host's response This is amazing. Then the master of the house, this is verse 21, became angry. Then the master of the house became angry. This was the appropriate response. This was an honor-shame culture. We have a little bit of uh, this in our culture, but less so today. It was if you do action X, good action X, you get benefit or reward Y. If you do bad action X, you are uh, given punishment Z. It was, as some have said, a very transactional culture. We have some of this today. Maybe you're talking about inviting to dinner. You say, oh, who should we invite to dinner uh, this month or next month? Well, so-and-so invited us last year. We should probably return the favor, right? There's a sense where this is part of our daily existence, and, and um, that's okay to an extent, but this is a very transactional culture. So when the, 
when the host gets angry, this was righteous anger. But notice what he does with this anger. Notice his response. So the host, the master of the house, became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. His anger, his righteous anger that he could have uh, done something very nasty to the people who rejected him in this transactional culture was transformed into grace. That's what we call grace. Undeserved, um, something you don't deserve, undeserved merit being given to you, right? The host turns his anger, he transforms his anger into grace, into generosity and mercy to the poor and the destitute. All the respectable people decided they were too good for this shabby dinner party. Only the poor and destitute those who didn't have anything better going on, those who were simply in the streets at the time, were now brought in by grace. I think this gets at the heart of God, this parable. The old kingdom, the, the order of this world that is under sin, that is passing away, is transactional, as someone reminded me this morning. That's a good word. The new kingdom, the new order of the day, God's order of the day is unconditional. In the old kingdom, you get what you deserve. In God's new kingdom, you get what you don't deserve. Transactional versus unconditional. And this is at the heart of the cross. The cross wasn't simply a clever way to save the world, pay for the world's sins, and maintain God's righteousness as judge. The cross was actually the very expression of who God is. Like the master, the host in this banquet, who turns righteous anger into grace, our God at the cross empties himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And through the cross, we see a window to the very heart of God and his kingdom. It's a others-centered, self-giving love. So, what does that mean for us? Can you see yourself in this parable? We're going to take a couple minutes to apply this, but let's just um, underscore, if Jesus were to host a feast, who would he invite? The poor, the powerless, the lame, the lost, and you and me. Because we are all of the above. And now in anticipation of the great banquet that Jesus tells only a parable of, but which will be um, the messianic banquet. Guys, Scripture talks about the end of all things. Yes, there's cataclysm, there's apocalyptic stuff, but really what it is, it's a party. There's a wedding banquet at the end of the age where Jesus is the bridegroom and the Father is the host. And we are invited to this banquet. And in anticipation of this banquet now, as those who have come to the table, those who have acknowledged our own poverty and hunger and undeserving nature of, of our invitation, we get to then, like, um, like the cross is an expression of who God is, we then become expressions 
of God's love to the world. We take up our cross and follow him, and we, in anticipation of that great day when God will invite the least, the lame, the lost, those who have acknowledged their brokenness in him, we get to embody that to the world. In the people we host in our homes, yes, in how we treat each other here in the body and how we go about our work and how we love our family, it's, it's done for the sake of others. It's not for us. We're not here to build up a grand institution of, of really respectable people. We're here to express the love of God to the world. That's why we're here as a church. And that's why we say we want to lead everybody to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? Because it's, it's about serving others, helping them come to a knowledge and love of Christ here at Holy Cross. So let, let's try to take this home even a little further. Every week we come to this table. This is called the Lord's Table, where we come and take communion here. And Jesus himself now is the host. He's the, the bread we break. He's also the one who invites us to dine with him. And we are his servants. We're his hungry guests who come not of our own um, merits and reputation, but we come simply as a beggar in the street. If you've been at this church or in a similar tradition in a while, you'll see people coming forward to the table with one hand above the other just outstretched. And that's a simple sign to say, I bring nothing here. I just bring my hunger. That's the only qualifications that I have. <laughs> I want, I need Jesus. Who is welcome here at this table? As I mentioned, all who acknowledge their hunger. All who say to Jesus, you are the one I need. That's, that's the only qualification we have here. I also want to say, um, because it's so great we have many visitors come every week and we have people checking out Holy Cross and those who are coming to faith or, or exploring the, who Jesus is. I want to say this too. Um, I invite you to come forward, but I want you to know that it's only those who have identified themselves in this, in this Messiah, in this um, Jesus was a, a poor, Im impoverished, itinerant preacher in a way, and not in a way he was. <laughs> it's only those who have identified with Jesus who are able to receive Jesus' meal. And we do that as Christians through baptism, through faith and baptism. And so I just, I encourage you today, if you are exploring, uh, coming to know the Lord, if you want to line yourselves up with uh, one of these fellow beggars, like me and, and Dr. Henry and the others who come to Jesus for true food, I invite you Come be baptized. Come identify with Christ. We had two baptisms last week, and it was beautiful. And it's, we, don't, we don't put any barriers up at this table other than those who'd say, I've come to Christ and, and been baptized into his name. Let me just give a, a quick picture of this to, to describe. Because you might say, well, hey, the parable just says kind of bring any and all. Shouldn't we just give the, the bread and wine to anybody who comes, anybody who wants it? Um, it sounds good in theory, but let me give you an example uh, before, we live in the Brand Road house here, right on the back of the property. My wife, uh, Katie, and William, and our daughter, Anna, and I. And a number of you all helped actually us build a fence. And it's interesting, before the fence was there, it didn't feel that inviting of a space. But now that we've built this white fence, there's something, uh, it, it actually draws you in. Because there's this, there's this uh, set, defined space and said, this is our home, you know, come join us. But you have to go through the gate, don't you? And so it's this beautiful attractional thing. 
but we're saying the only requirement is Christ. Uh, and we want you to come and know him and be baptized. And so all to say, I, you know, this may be old news for you, but we want you here at the Lord's table. The Lord wants you here. If you have not been baptized yet, I just ask that you come forward and either uh, receive a blessing. You can put your hands on the rail or over your, over your chest. We'd love to pray for you. Or if you'd rather, uh, you can go to the back. We have prayer ministers. We have them at 1107 as well, don't we? Um, and we trust that the Lord is drawing you in, in his time to his great banquet. Final point of emphasis I'm going to make, of, of course, as the associate pastor for family life, and I oversee discipleship and community groups, I'd make a plug for community groups during my sermon, would I not? Um, so we're relaunching community groups uh, two weeks from today, September 11th. We're calling it Connection Sunday. We have a number of community groups going. We're also hoping to start a couple more. What would it look like for our groups to reflect the Messianic banquet? What would it look like if in our community there was a sense of the poor and needy and all those who just come as, as hungry um, sinners, fellow sinners at the table, around the word together in community. And so I, I encourage you, if you're not a part of a community group, I'd love for you to be a part of one. If you're leading a group or a part of one, I challenge you, how can we make this group more welcoming and open so that we would reflect the great messianic banquet of God? Um, finally, we're sent on mission. You see this last phrase says, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Uh, when you have the correct identity as simply an impoverished beggar coming to the, the true bread, coming to get what will only, the only bread that will feed you for eternity, you can go out to people and it not feel judgmental, it not feel overbearing, because as one pastor has put it, you're simply one beggar going to another beggar saying, hey, I found where the food is. So we're sent on mission in this great messianic banquet. Uh, with the correct identity as servants and stewards of one another, we can go out into the world, go to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Come dine with me at the great supper of the Lamb who was slain for us. I'll end with this hymn. Uh, you know it, many of you called Come Ye Sinners, and then we'll um, go to prayer and to the Lord's table. It says this from 1759, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Amen.